This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Forgot, Edron James, former Seahawk Hall of Famer. Seahawk legend. He goes right up there with Franco Harris and Jerry Rice. <laughs> Steve Hutchison, legitimate Seahawks legend. Someone who's part of the best offensive line in franchise history, uh, inducted over the weekend. It is Danny and Gallant, the Seattle Mariners in New York over the weekend. And they come home. I, reeling is probably a bit of an overstatement because they played well. Like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't go to New York and get drubbed. They they played well and were in position actually throughout that ten game road swing. I would say like they as a team performed pretty well. They they didn't hit. Like there was there was that. If there's one thing coming out of it, I would say that the offense is not. They're 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 not knocking guys in right now and specifically are struggling with runners on base. But I don't think they played poorly. On that road trip, it's not like when they came back from San Diego and had just been just had their brains beat in. They they played well. It just games did not go their way, and they weren't able to hold on to leads. Their starting pitching did everything it needed to. Tyler Anderson, Marco Gonzalez with his best start of the year, a solid start by Chris Flexen until the very end. Yusei Kikuchi yesterday shutting out New York in his five innings, much better than the last time around when he went up against New York, where he didn't seem to be confident. I mean, your starters gave you a chance. Your bullpen wasn't terrible outside of Diego Castillo. Your offense just couldn't score. I mean, in the last five games, Danny, four of them, you've scored three runs or less. And that's not going to win, especially in the Bronx. New York has way too much offense. And that you were able to hold them to as few runs as you were in most of these games is honestly an upset. Seven for 32 with runners in scoring position. Seven for 32. That Mm. is a batting average of 219, which... This has been one of the things we've kind of harped on, right? Their record in one-run games. Their batting average with runners in scoring position. The fact that they have a winning record despite having allowed more runs than they've scored. All of those things were part of... There were were signs that something like this could happen. That you might be living on borrowed time in terms of of your success. The flip side of it is somebody could point to it and say, yeah, but you did have leads. Mm-hmm. All that being said, this team has never hit that well. This team has never been tearing the cover off of the ball. And you've been able to win in part because your bullpen was so good. And in this series, your bullpen consistently lost leads. Now, they weren't big leads. And you're trying to survive by the skin of your teeth. But at the same time, you had leads. You had leads and you couldn't hold on to them. Four and six on the road trip. And... You blew leads in five of the games. Do you think the Mariners spoiled their chemistry? Like, do you when you look no. back at this ten game that removing Kendall Graveman and and adding Abraham Toro, even though he's been a huge bat, disrupted the chemistry or the effectiveness that you had of your bullpen? No, I don't think so. I you know chemistry is an important thing, but is the chemistry of your bullpen really that dramatically altered by the absence of one guy when you bring somebody else in? You still have Paul Sewald. You know, you still have. Some of your good relievers that have been, for the most part, this year. Drew Steckenrider's been pitching pretty solid of late. Yeah, I mean, you've you got some good arms still in there. It's not like all of a sudden they're they're just going to say, "Oh, well, Kendall Graveman's gone, so now I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin." No, I I I don't think it, that that happened. How about you? I don't. I don't. It's tough. I feel like I'm an apologist, though, 
when I when I say that because I don't believe. Yeah, I understand. I, I that. don't believe in clutch. Like I really, I I really don't. I don't. I don't think that there's a team. I think that this team, all of the signs were there about their success in close games. They weren't going to be as successful, and their winning percentage was not going to be as high in close games, the final sixty games of the season as it was in in the first hundred. I think that their batting average with runners in scoring position, and specifically somebody like Kyle Seeger, who was so good, two outs, runners in scoring position, he was hitting like four hundred. That's usually something that doesn't hold up. But there's, but there is a part of me that says, okay, what I'm doing is trying to say, like, hey, don't completely ignore this trade over here that disrupted this one element of the team and made everybody mad. And it shouldn't be a surprise that since then, since that happened, that they've gone what four and eight. Mm-hmm. They've been four and eight since that trade happened, and but is a that big part a, of is that a reflection on the bullpen or is it a reflection of the opponents? Because I think it's the latter. You played Houston and you played New York. These are two of the best teams in baseball over the last five years, right? I, I, I feel like it's more a product of who you played than it is of you yourself. Looking at you in the mirror, even though you did blow opportunities in this series in New York, which is so frustrating. I think it's also a reflection of your offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, more so than the bullpen being unable to hold on to well, yeah. leads, the ability not to add to leads. And not only that, but the guy who's been one of the best bats in your lineup is the guy you got for Graveman. So if you're sitting there, you can't, you can't just say, hey, I wish that the bullpen hadn't been disrupted without acknowledging what that offense would have looked like without Toro in it. What that offense, it would have been even worse, and it's already been a problem. Yeah, and is that not the biggest difference between you and those two teams? I mean, Houston's... Houston has so many bats that they can flip you Abraham Toro and it doesn't even matter. And with New York, I mean, they added two at the trade deadline. So you, you're, you're facing steep competition. You got to score. God, you know, it's hard, Danny, to come out of this weekend feeling like the Mariners were there because they were there and they couldn't score. And, they had so many opportunities. You 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 outlined it, and I I mean they have no one to blame but themselves, and, and that's the worst part. I I almost wish they had been bludgeoned away because you know what that would make me feel like they weren't close, and then I could say yep next year. But now I'm like, dang it, they're that close. They're that close, and they had chances, and they blew it in three games in a row. And where are the bats? I mean, shoot, there was a point on I I think it was Saturday's game. Where they they had like six strikeouts and eight up in, or six strikeouts and nine at bats or something like that. Yeah, it was brutal. They went fourteen straight innings without scoring a run oh! between Saturday and Sunday's game. They went fourteen straight innings. They scored four runs in the first two innings of that Saturday game, and then they didn't they didn't score again the rest of that game and didn't score until you got into the end uh, of of Sunday's game, which they ended up shutting out the Yankees and, and give them credit for that. Just brutal. I, that, but I'd rather it be close. I'd I'd ra- I'd I'd much rather have that sort of heartbreak and that feeling of uh. oh my gosh they weren't able to and the simple reason is because this should be confirmation that they're closer than anybody expected them to be when the season began. Yeah, you're right. You're right that it is confirmation. It's just like dang, it's it's hard. It's hard to walk away knowing that you had this. You really should have won at least two of these games. And imagine if you had made a big push to add a rental player, and you went through this. Yeah. Imagine if at the trade deadline you were the team that traded for one of these bats that is just for one, and then well, you end up watching it as it as it slips away and you're feeling like okay, 
We made the addition to push for this year. Well, maybe maybe that one bat would have been the difference, though. <laughs> you know, and maybe. maybe in half of these games or something like that. But that's that's the risk that you run because yeah. right now, when you look at the rest of the wild card chance, do you think them going four or six is going to cost them the wild card? I, I, I don't think it's going to cost them the wild card. I think I I don't think they're going to get close to the wild card. I, I, I think they're going to be multiple games out. I do not think that we'll end up looking back to this stretch of games and saying the Mariners would have been in the playoffs if it weren't for this road trip when they couldn't score and went four and six. Okay. We, I, weeks I from don't now, think they're that I don't think they're that close. Weeks from now I agree with you. Right now I do feel like they're out of it. Period. And when you have twenty 21- They've been passed by Toronto. Toronto's yep. coming in. Yeah, you're right. That right now it feels like, hey, that was a point where you've got to not just you're you're going to have to pick up ground or increase the distance between you and some of these teams. You're going against the Rays. You're going against a Texas team that you really need to fatten up on because you've got tougher opponents. Yeah, right now it feels like you come back home and the wind is out of your sails. Twenty four games the rest of the way against Toronto, Boston, and of course the Astros and A's, and that's going to be really difficult for you. You do have some cupcakes along the way. You got the Diamondbacks and the Royals. And, you know, they've done pretty well against the Angels and the Rangers of late. But those series against the playoff teams, are they going to be able to replicate what they've done against Oakland before or, or, or earlier this year I, I, against Toronto? I, I don't know. I don't know. If the anger people feel right now about that and the disappointment, we should check back at the end of the season. And if you come back and look and say it was that stretch – it was that stretch, this 10-game homestand or 10-game road trip, and even throw in the final two games of that last homestand against the, against the Astros. When, by the way, the Astros, like, they, they clobbered you in those games. Like, that was, that was the best-hitting team in baseball playing like the best-hitting team in baseball. If we look back and say going 4-8 and eight in, that, in that stretch, if they had gone 6-6 six and six or flipped it and gone 8-4, and four, they would be in the playoffs, then I think it's fair to say that, okay, they should have done something different at the trade deadline. They should have been able to do that. I don't think it's going to be that close. I, yeah, I don't I, either. I don't. I, I think either. I think they're much further off with that, and you've got too many teams that were making decisions that hey, it's time for us to add right now, and sort of consequences down the road. We'll, we'll deal with those later. The Mariners, they're almost in that situation, and I think that going into this off season, you can look at it and hey, we expect to be we expect to be the kind of team Toronto is right now next year. We expect to be making the kind of additions that Toronto made. When it signed George Springer in the offseason, when it traded for Jose Barrios from the Twins at this trade deadline, we can look at being that a year from now. We're getting close and we feel really good about where we are. I, I don't think they were wrong. I don't think they, they misgaged exactly where they are right now, though. I'm with you. I, I, I felt all along that what they've done this year has been impressive, but you knew that it had a shelf life just given the many things that our commonalities between now and the beginning of the year. They have been the worst hitting team in baseball all season. They're 30th, dead last in batting average. They are 29th in on-base percentage, even with some of the guys that are able to get on base with the walks that they draw, like Jake Fraley, 28th in OPS, and 4th in strikeouts. Like It's just a perfect storm of bad offensively. And yeah, 12th in home runs, 19th in runs somehow, but when you have that lack of consistency at the plate and you see some of the teams that are around you that you're even in this conversation is a miracle Toronto's lineup 
Just just look at the numbers in all of these lineups that are around you. And honestly, I guess you would look at the names for the Yankees because there's a lot of underperforming Yankees right now. Maybe they're heating up all of a sudden. But you don't belong, unfortunately. And I, I, I think that the frustrating part is that even though you don't belong, you are still just that annoying that you can have a series against New York this weekend where you should have won it. I mean, yeah. you should have taken three or four. That part is hard. That part is really tough. I will raise my hand and say it. I've got some reservations about Diego Castillo. I, I, I know what Jerry what Jerry said, and I see the rationale that they used, that this was an opportunity to get a back-of-the-arm, a back-of-your-bullpen arm, and have him under control for the next three years. We've seen him four times. Twice he's been bad, right? Yeah. So far, so far he's not been as advertised. No, he has not. So, so, so far, and that that this is not the final consensus or the final decision. And like I said, I don't think we're going to look back and say like, oh my gosh, if not for Diego Castillo, this Mariners team would have made the playoffs. But for the long term, I, I I've got some reservations about about how he looks. This is a bad start. Bad. I mean, no no sugarcoating it. This trade looks like an L right now. I don't know what Chargeois is doing, but it's it's one that you look at and you thought that this guy was going to be on the same level as Kendall Graveman, and he has he has been Rafael Montero esque for you. You you thought that this is a guy worth paying going forward because some of this you didn't give up equal value to a closer, like you didn't give up the arms worthy of a closer. Chagois and then the the prospect who was it Austin Shenton the third yeah, the Shenton, third base yeah. prospect that they gave up for him that's not for a top of the market closure but you you were looking at Castillo saying like yeah that's the I, I'm willing to pay him a raise I, I'm willing to have him I want that choice of having him down there and and we'll see where this goes but the early signs and there's a long way to go before we get to the ultimate resolution and maybe even even in the off season he can do things though but the initial returns are like okay that's I, I see why the Tampa Bay Rays decided they didn't want him in their bullpen. Like I very much see why they're like this dude. We we yeah we're not we don't want him going into this playoff chase and then into the postseason. It seems very clear because when they got him, I was like, why why are the Rays giving up on him? I'm like oh, I see right now. I see why they 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 were willing to trade him for so little. It is Danny and Gallant. Let's get to around the NFL. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. What up, Mora? Hello, hello. I'm uh, I'm glad to see that Paul made it today. Danny, uh, Paul actually wanted me to save this sound for you so you could hear it today of him trying to come back from break in his show on Friday. Paul Gallant show. Wow, that sounds Whoa. Cool. Wow. <laughs> That's solid. It did not do so well at the very end of the show. That was the last segment. It took me, I think, about, what, 20, 30 seconds to actually be able to speak in rough. a somewhat normal voice. Took some time, Danny. How are you feeling? Are you on steroids? Yeah, I, I went to an urgent <laughs> care over the weekend because I care. So I'm taking some roids. Ugh! And um, feeling a little better. Do you better. feel stronger? Uh Good question. Maybe I should go to the gym later and and, and, and try to uh, max out. Huh? 225. Let's go. Uh, uh. Greg Bishop, who now works at Sports Illustrated, when he worked at the Seattle Times, I believe he wanted to take steroids to see how that would affect him and write about taking steroids, which was always hilarious to me. Yeah. There's a part of me that wants to try it as someone who has 
body dysmorphia, but I realize that there are some side effects, and I am not willing to deal with the side effects. But I don't have an issue with any athletes who are willing to weigh in these side effects long-term after the fact. I don't. All right, well, now we're getting up. Bring it back to baseball. No, <laughs> no bring it back to football. <laughs> uh, so Peter King updated the latest he's heard about the Jamal Adams contract negotiations in his Football Morning in America column. He said, I hear the Seahawks have stretched themselves quite a bit for Adams, but he's still not happy with the offer. And if you know Seattle's negotiating stance, it's not likely the offer's going to change much now. Consistent with what you've been saying, Danny, they, they put a precedent together with how they've handled guys like Cam Chancellor and others in the past. And I, I think that they have been very delicate with the way that they've handled the situation publicly. I wonder how... Jamal Adams is going to respond to it. I don't think that things are going to get as acrimonious as they did in New York, but I think the potential is now there where maybe a week ago it wasn't. What do you think Adams is going to do? Do you think he's going to miss games? I don't think he will. I think he might be mad and he might not sign the contract and he might dare you to franchise tag him after the season, but I don't I don't, I don't see think so him either. I, I don't see him missing games. He's been out at training camp and he seems engaged, and I, I think that's a good sign. Where Dwayne Brown has had had been out and did not, and I, I I think that that is important to note. I mean, Jamal's bouncing around, excited, and with Dwayne Brown now, yeah, you you, you got to wonder. But um, that is interesting that Peter King put that out there that they that now it's going to be I guess more of a waiting game. And I guess at this point they they thought that a, a deal would be reached by now, Jamal and the Seahawks. The Seahawks think they've made an offer that should get the deal done. That's and their track record has been that they sort of wait guys out. I don't know how long of a fight Jamal Adams has sort of the desire for. Here's the difference between the two. With Dwayne Brown, Brown is this is about this is kind of maybe his last stand for a contract extension. For Jamal Adams, he still has a lot of football left. And if he... This is going to be the biggest payday he probably gets in his career. And it's not this make-or-break moment because going forward, he still has a year left. You could go into the offseason without it. And on the flip side is, hey, you've got this big... If you decide to sign, you get this big chunk of guaranteed money that takes injury risk off the table. With Dwayne Brown, it is more, hey... How much of a last stand are you going to make here with your negotiation? And I totally get from Dwayne Brown's perspective saying, I'm, I'm 35. I put my body through a lot to be able to play each and every week. And I don't I don't want this to be a, you guys will see if I'm all used up at, and we'll talk about this at the end of the year. I, 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 I get that. But they're two very different calculations. I would say that Dwayne Brown likely would be the more willing of the two to miss games. I'm I'm not I'm not sure if that's a route that that Jamal Adams would end up taking. Yeah, and I I think Brown has more leverage here too. You know, I I feel like they're, they're Brown definitely has more leverage because Seattle because Jamal Adams leverage is what I'm not going to play. I I won't make my salary this year, and then if I come back and show up halfway through the season, then you might franchise tag me, right? And then it gets really acrimonious with Dwayne Brown. It's he doesn't want to play under the current contract. Yep. 
and it's, it's much more like if he's if he's if, if Seattle's not going to franchise tag him, right? It's it's much more straightforward process for Dwayne Brown. It's a very similar situation to for Brown to what it was in Houston all of those years ago in 2017, where there's a franchise quarterback that rookie quarterback in Houston then franchise quarterback now, and while he might be 36 years old, there is no option for. That team, Houston, at left tackle, there is no option for this team, the Seahawks, at left tackle as a backup. You do not want to have Cedric Obwehi out there for half a season. By the way, he's hurt. <laughs> yes, quite a few injuries listed along that offensive line. Nothing too serious right now. Right. But, um, we also had a little bit of tempers flaring at Seahawks training camp on Saturday. Brady Henderson tweeted out, The Seahawks' first dust-up of camp came in wide receiver versus DB one-on-ones. After a physical rep, DK Metcalf flung the ball at Ugo Amadi. Marquise Blair took issue. Metcalf shoved him. They had to be separated. He said it's nothing like actual fights we've seen in years past, but the testiest exchange of camp. Is that actually is that good news for you guys? Yeah! I like my guy Marquise Blair. Blair... Blair is my low-key favorite player on the defense. Really? Yeah. Yes. 2019 was fun when he was out there in the limited reps that he was out there. He lays the wood. I feel like, though, this probably isn't as much Marquise Blair as it's DK Metcalf, right? He gets under the skin of every single defensive back in the NFL. They all want to fight him. And I would imagine, yes, some of his teammates would, too, when he gets cocky. Because he's cocky. And guess what? He has a right to be cocky. To be fair, though, I did uh, see something that said, I think Blair got into it with Disley later, too. So Ooh. Yeah! Blair being, yeah. Okay. Let's go! Okay. I like him being feisty. I like this, I, I'll, too. I'll say this. When uh, he got thrown out, Marquise Blair got thrown out of the Utah's regular season game against the Huskies in, in his final season, and it was one of the worst ejections that I've seen. All he did, really? was, square, all he did was square up Miles Gaskin. Like Gaskin was trying to cut, and he squared him up perfectly, and he hit him. It was a great football play. Like even at the time, I was like, Dude, "That is a lame ejection." I I like Marquise Blair. I hope we get to see him a full season of him because there was so much hype about him going into last year. And all he was when he was on the field as a rookie was he just forced fumbles. Yeah, I want to see more of him too. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. There's a little bit more to get to with this Dwayne Brown contract question. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. You're listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I'm going to be the parent here. Talking to all of you insolent children who want everything right now, birthday cakes every day, presents under your... I'm going to be the parent that says, sometimes you have to be responsible with your allowance. Sometimes you need to make practical decisions, such as saying that a 35-year-old tackle who's turning 36 and who's had some legitimate legitimate concerns about durability that now is not the time to give him a contract that stretches years into the future. I'm going to be the mean parent who says everybody loves Dwayne Brown, but, but now is not the time to do that. I'll be the mean parent. I'll do it. I'll do it for everyone and just say, uh, you can, you can explain to me all the reasons why you have no other option to do it. And I'll tell you that, that that's, that's not something that's reasonable or smart to do right now. Fine, then I'll be the concerned parent that says that we need to have our apples and our juice boxes and our oranges. And Dwayne Brown 
gives that for us over the course of this coming season. And if you don't have it, I mean, the kids are going to be upset. Russell Wilson's going to be upset. Russell Wilson's going to get hit. He's going to get sacked. And you don't have an alternative. If you had an alternative or something like that, if you had alternative snacks for the children, great. But you don't. You don't right now. And this is not a purchase that I want to make, Danny. But this is something that I know that I have to make as the volunteer parent who was required on the chart to bring in the snacks this time. You've, you've, you've crossed over to the other side. You're now bargaining with the kids. You've now let them know that they can get what they want. Like you've caved. You've caved. You have, to, you have to stand your ground and be what is reasonable and what is mature and to say that, hey, when we traded for Dwayne Brown, we did everything that we said we would in terms of when the extension was provided, how that relationship would be going forward, and we love the way Dwayne Brown plays. And at this stage of his career, at this stage of this career and right now, we're not, we're not comfortable meeting the, 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 the price that he set out for an extension going forward. And we, we hope it continues, and we love having him playing here. And maybe this will end, us, uh, end up biting us in the butt if he goes out and has an awesome season. Is then We might pay for it then, but we're going to take that risk. We're not going to sign an extension right now because that, that puts us too vulnerable. We're already betting on him to beat the odds. He is a well-paid left tackle in this league. He's not underpaid. He's, he's, make, he's making the average salary this upcoming season for what people at his position make. And if he's great, he'll be in position to cash, cash in eight months from now. We're just not willing to do that right now. Zero guaranteed money. I mean, I'm guessing that's the big issue. There's zero guaranteed money for this, 20, for, for this season. Well, no, if he's on the roster week one, he's going to make every bit of his base salary. If he's on the roster week one, all of that becomes guaranteed. No, the issue is adding a signing bonus right now to add one or two years, probably two years to the contract. The, 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 the sticking point is he wants assurances about what money he'll make next year, which I understand. I just don't think that that's the right way to run the business. But don't you plan on having him next year, optimally? I hope so. Yes, I hope so. I, is it I hope or I, I want so? I, I, I hope he's able to play next year. I absolutely hope he he's, to play he's turning. He's turning thirty six. Yep. You remember two years ago when he had a August knee surgery 30th, that he right. tried to avoid. Yep. And he wasn't. He he wasn't. Look, I think he's incredibly tough, but we're already against. Like we're already past the point where it's reasonable to expect and project production years out into the future. I love Dwayne Brown. This is not a vote of confidence against him. It's a recognition of the reality of this business. If you're thirty six years old and you've hold out before. You're going to hold out this time around too, probably into the point where I hope not. I I, 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 I hope, hope not too. I hope not too. I, but I would like to guarantee that he's here for all 17 games. It's a 17 game season this time around. You know, it's it's a little bit longer, and that is someone that I feel like you can't afford to have missing for half of that stretch. Is paying him the extension going to help him stay healthy? No, <laughs> it's not right. For all of the different things and all of the reasons that you would say of like, hey, we need it because we don't have any alternatives. It's kind of like basically saying, okay, you've got to promise this money to a player that there's a lot of signs there that you can't reasonably project two and three years into the future right now with. You've got to promise that money to him. And I just, there's too many examples that Seattle's gone through 
with players who were younger than Brown that didn't make it to those years of the extensions. Does being 36 mean he is going to get hurt? Because I know he had the knee issue. Didn't he have a biceps issue or something like that? Mm -hmm. One of the last couple of seasons, too. Does that mean he's going to get hurt at the same time? No, it doesn't mean he's going to get hurt. It means that if you promise to pay him in 2022 and you promise that money down the road, regardless of whether or not he gets hurt, that you're boxing yourself in and you're potentially painting yourself into a corner where if he does get hurt, not only are you going to have to replace him, but you're going to have to replace him without having the money that you've already given to him by virtue of this extension. Mm, yeah. I don't know how you're going to replace him, though, period. I, I, I just don't see the avenue to it. If, an, if a tackle's made available, the guy probably is available for a reason, and that means you're going to have to overpay for an eight soldier type, and how often do those deals work out? Not very often. Are you going to make a trade? Because we've seen what the market price for a tackle is thanks to the stupid texans it's probably multiple picks a first round pick and probably something else the texans of course sent two first round picks and they got a guy who is what like 15th 14th 13th best tackle in the nfl maybe in 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 laramie tunsil mr gas mask himself so that that's that's my big issue why i am i guess i am looking at all the options that I have ahead of me, and I don't want to do this, but I feel like this is a safer choice to make than to go into the unknown without Dwayne Brown both this year and after this year. It's the safer, it's the safer choice in terms of public perception. It's the safer choice in terms of how your players will feel because nobody can be mad at you at signing Dwayne Brown. It's not the safer one as you look at planning your payroll for the future. It's much riskier in that way. And that's why it takes some guts to be able to do it and say, hey, this doesn't make sense for us. Look, the, safe, the safer in terms of public appearance is by saying, we love Dwayne Brown and we want to we, we pay him and we're going to do everything. But that is not the safest one in terms of how your roster's built going forward simply because of his age, how, how he's built, and what it means going forward. And yeah, there's, there's a risk in, in not giving in to the demand or the desire for an extension. There's also a risk if you do give into it, and one of them leaves you much more hamstrung down the road potentially than saying, "Hey, we've we've got a deal that we we think works for us. We're hoping that 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 you see it that way too, and and if not, we're hoping that you get over it as soon as possible because we need you here for this season." I'd feel differently about this if Dwayne Brown had never held out before. But since he has, I feel like he's the kind of guy that would be willing to do it again. And that's that's nerve-wracking for me. It's Danny and Gallant. We're going to be raising flags. That comes up next. From the pocket. And flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It is time for us to go through the previous three hours. Well, actually, the previous three days. Raise flags, throw flags, pick up flags, any number of things. I'm going to start because I want to raise a flag to the 360. Text line brought to you by Mac and Jacks. This is a perfect one. Again, the 360. There's a time to let the kids cry. And a time to cave. You don't let the baby cry through a funeral, Danny. 
That's probably the best response to my whole argument of you don't have a negotiation here with the kids about whether or not you go into the toy store. Like, once you tell them that the toy store's on the table, you might as well have just said, the point there is there's there's a time and a situation for everything. And right now, four weeks before this season, is not the time to go messing with the left tackle. And if he wants something, maybe there's extraordinary circumstances that demand a little bit of concession here that you might not otherwise make. Yeah. Very, 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 very fair point. Look, it's it's concerning that they might not have him out there. Yeah. The other options, if they had somebody that I felt like was ready to jump in there, great. Maybe if Stone Forsythe had a year under his belt as an alternative to Cedric Obwehi, fine. But you want to throw that guy in the fire in a division that features all the pass rushers that this division features? I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we saw Chandler Jones get four sacks going up against Jamarco Jones. So how's that going to look if you got a rookie sixth-round pick in there or if you have Cedric Abwehi in there? I don't think much different. I think Russ is going to be running for his life a lot, and I don't think he still has the same ability to run for his life that he once did. Very fair. It's all part of the difficulties and challenges here. Not only do you have Jamal Adams hoping to get uh, top shelf, it's the debate is how much with Jamal. You got a left tackle who's looking at the end of his career and and feeling that he wants to position himself better for that. Mora, what do you got for a flag? Um, I've been trying to find her name, but I want I can't find it. I, I wanted to raise a flag for the Los Angeles Dodgers ball girl who. <laughs> Uh, yesterday during the Angels game, took out a, uh, a guy that ran onto the field that four security guards were trying to chase, and she just kind of casually like got him right where he was about to reach the wall and flipped him over it. Made it look easy. It was a nice play. She did a good job, yeah. It was a really nice Ta- tackle. Tackling fundamentals, like what would you say? Because the one thing, you, you're supposed to force someone to the sideline, right? Like not let them cut back inside. Sideline is your friend. She did a great job of positioning herself so the outfield wall became an additional tackler. Yes. Right? Like Because he tries to move at the last second, yep. and what he ends up doing is running himself into the wall. <laughs> so I think she had great spatial awareness at that point. She got like a huge round of applause from the crowd, too. Why is stadium security always so easy <laughs> to run away from? I got some other questions. We've come a long way in terms of the development of, I don't know, like, I see all sorts of stuff in movies, like like nets that can be launched, like tripwire, and there used to be cowboys that could lasso someone. Why is it that we always have, when it comes to stadium personnel, it's blubbery security yeah. guys chasing after guys that are faster than them? Why can't you come up with something that will help those guys retrieve someone who is faster than them? A lasso would Seeing be interesting. Someone, or as Dave Wyman says, I learned this when I worked with him on uh, Wyman and Bob. He says a lasso. A lasso. I was like, yeah, what wh- is that? Yeah, why can't why can't you do that? Phoenix Jones for a while was Seattle's superhero, right? It's a mutual combat state. And he had some automated. I don't know how well his net guns worked or not, but he had apparatus. Yeah. Apparati that would be able to to, to stop a fan. We gotta have some people in Montana and Idaho who, who who know how to use a, a lasso. That would be fun. Bring in some perhaps, rodeo guys. Perhaps Cody Pickett, former UW quarterback who grew up on Chicken Dinner Lane. He could he could do some rodeo. Honestly, I, I 
I would love to be a security guard for a day if I if I could do this. You know, I can You'd tackle. Probably catch like you would have caught that. Guy, oh, I, I would right? I would have ta- taken him out. Yeah, would've, yeah, would have run him down. Would have been fun. How would you? What style would you go? Would you dive at the legs? Would you try to get more on top of him so oh, you could? Shoulders. Would you, Shoulder square horse in collar? the back. Shoulder square in the back. Oh, really? What about a horse collar? What if he came and just did a horse collar? Because uh, he wouldn't be penalized for that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I could grab him by the back of the shirt, but there's a chance that the jersey might that the shirt might break away, tear away. I guess you know what? If you're going out on the field, that is a that them's the risks you run. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I haven't I haven't tackled somebody in a while. All right, Paul, what's your flag? I'm going to raise a flag to Bobby Bowden. Uh, for those who don't know, I grew up a Florida Gators fan, um, and Bobby Bowden, he passed away uh, yesterday at 91 years old. He's one of the best college football coaches that I, I think we've ever seen, and even though this is a guy who coached Florida State, very fascinating career. Started off listening to Alabama games as a kid growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, went on to West Virginia, coached there for a little bit of time, and he moved on to Florida State because it was warmer in Tallahassee and closer to his mom. In 1977, Florida State got its first bowl invitation under Bobby Bowden, which led to 28 consecutive bowl appearances with national titles in 1993 and 1999. And for 14 years in a row, they won at least 10 games and finished ranked in the top five of the AP poll. I can't tell you how many Saturdays as a kid I would lose my mind over seeing the uh, crimson and gold of the Florida State Seminoles, but... That guy on the other sideline across from the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, was somebody that I always looked at and was like, yep, this is going to be a game. Bobby Bowden, one of the best to ever do it in college football. Rest in peace. It was amazing what he built that program into. Yeah, man. It was pretty cool. And in the years since then, when everybody's wondered what went wrong with Florida State, I always think that what we lose sight of is, well, that tells you something about what Bobby Bowden did right there. Mm-hmm. Like it tells you a lot about what he did right building that program. And yeah, I'm sure that there there were miscalculations made along the way. But part of it is that you don't have Bobby Bowden anymore. That was part of the problem. And he was a, had a unique ability to hold things together. Dad Gummit. Yeah, he did. He had that. He had that welcome old old approach, right? Like yep. the, he was everybody's grandfather. He was not a screamer. He was not a shouter. He was a he. He was someone who had the grandfatherly approach. You can win a lot of different ways in football with a lot of different personalities, and Bobby certainly had his own. Don't you miss some of those teams being what they used to be? I legitimately really miss, and I don't like Florida State or the University of Miami as someone who likes the Gators, but I miss them being good. It's weird. They are both sort of afterthoughts as programs, and Florida's still sort of hanging around, you know, these days. But it's weird to see the college football landscape change in a way where those two programs have just faded into nothing, but... That's what hap- that's what's happening with conference realignment and you're so right. One figure can do so much for a program and I mean he turned them from nothing into one of the most talented I think college football uh, NFL bases that we have ever seen. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank Jake Heaps for calling in to chime in during Blue 42. The professor, John Clayton, who was with our morning drive. Maura Dooley keeps everything on the straight and narrow. She keeps us in the fairway. And he is Paul Gallant, and he, he sounds like he got some rest over the weekend. And he's on steroids. Yes. He's on steroids. And he is Danny O'Neill, and he did get to heckle those Bronx Bombers in the Bronx this weekend. Up next, the question of today. We're going to continue our conversation from this morning. 
Would it be practical for the Seahawks to give Dwayne Brown an extension? You get to answer that 710-710. So long, farewell. You'll hear us tomorrow at 7.